Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start, we want to highlight FACT's platinum sponsor, the National Peanut Board, and thank them for their years of continued support and partnership. Did you ever wonder where the food used in our clinical trials comes from? In our food allergy world, we work hard to keep the allergens out of our home, but scientists and researchers need perfection and must maintain research and the participants in those clinical trials. Today, Martin Wickham... Chief Commercial Officer at Reacta Healthcare takes us behind the scenes to learn about where this food is produced and how it's manufactured for safety. Welcome to Facts Roundtable, Martin. We are absolutely delighted and honored to have you to join us today to learn more about food manufacturing for clinical trials. This is an area I would guarantee almost most of us don't know anything about, but it's absolutely crucial for our livelihood. So this is an exciting day and welcome. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, before we get started today, can you share your background and role at Reacta Healthcare? Okay. Um, well, for my background, I kind of spent my life following food. Um, I, I started life as a very young chef very early on. So um I spent a lot of time in kitchens cooking food for other people, and then I spent a short spell in food manufacturing. But it was only after a few years that I moved from the kitchen into the laboratory. It was food science where I found my real passion. And actually, I spent the next 20 years studying human digestion, which is a really good area to start a career in because um, human digestion, first of all, it's something that we all know something about, but actually there's a lot of unknowns in there as well. And it also leads into lots of other different science, uh, sciences. So um, I kind of spent many years looking at human digestion, but then moved into human nutrition and looked at probably every area of human nutrition you could think of. Then in the latter part of my science career, it occurred to me that there are many issues that we're looking at within food science perspective that cross over into the world of pharmacy and pharmaceutical development. And and so I spent a few years looking here because I shouldn't really be surprised that we not only ingest food, but we also ingest pharmaceutical preparations, things like pills and capsules. And this crossover between food, pharma, um, science, I found really interesting. And one of the areas that I, I happened across was food allergy, because food allergy fits squarely right in the middle of both food and pharmaceuticals. And so it was an area that was of a lot of interest from a, a scientific perspective, but also it's one of those rare areas in science where you know your day-to-day -day job as a scientist can have an impact on the quality of life of the people around you, the, the food allergy sufferers that 
that uh, you know are part of my family and friends and network that, that I, I interact with on a day-to-day basis. So it was about 10 years ago that I joined a, a very tiny, very small, very early stage company called Reactor to work on the development of food allergy diagnostics. And, and this is the company I've been working with for the last 10 years. First of all, in the early stages of the company as their commercialization manager, and now I'm their uh, um, chief commercial officer. And so what does that mean, chief commercial officer? That's a really good question. Um, it, uh, in my case, um, it's probably not the standard definition of the role. In my case, it means that I run around and pick up um, all the balls that, that, that fall through the cracks. But essentially, it's working on the commercial side of the business, so the commercial development of the business, making sure that the products, et cetera, that we develop are fit for the customers, and then making sure that we have customers for those products. You're the everything guy. I can see this. You get everything to where it needs to be. That's the hope. You can speak to my colleagues about whether I actually achieve that or not, but that is the hope. (laughs) I love that. And I can see where you started off as a cook because cooking and baking is a science. So I can see how that passion grew. And I'm very happy, selfishly, because I have two children with the food allergies. So I'm very happy to see how you took that interest and that passion and then turned this toward this industry. Because, you know, as you know, over the last 20 years, food allergies have just exploded. And there's just so many people now dealing with it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, um, back when I was a chef, and and that was a long time ago, I'm not telling you how long ago, but it was a long time ago. (laughs) Food allergy didn't have the the kind of exposure that it does now, which is, you know, looking back, it's, it's, it's a really sad state of affairs. But food allergy on the whole except for the patients, the, the sufferers themselves. It was pretty much ignored by, you know, the the, um, the industry, um, both the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry. It was ignored completely. And it's good to see now that it's getting not only the press, but also the, the, the kind of weight of science and understanding and knowledge behind it now to be able to really improve the um, quality of life of, of food allergy sufferers. Oh, exactly. My children are 24 and 20. And so my first was diagnosed at age two, and then my second one was diagnosed at three. And boy, there was nothing, no treatments, no manufacturing guidelines. It was just kind of the Wild West. And and now it's just so beautiful to see what's happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we look at every aspect of it, what the food industry is doing, what the regulators are doing in terms of regulating what's put on the food packaging labels, etc. I mean, and also what the uh, pharmaceutical science is doing in terms of developing therapies and diagnostics. I mean, the whole area is changing. And I think that we've seen a dramatic change over the last couple of decades but i think we're in we're in a a really good time where we're going to see significant change in a very short space of time moving forward there's a lot of people a lot of intelligent clever people working in this area now that i agree with and i love it so now let's explore react to healthcare which is a very unique but very meaningful company for people suffering from food allergies worldwide so if you can tell us about react to healthcare specifically and then what you do as a company yeah of course um well react to healthcare actually celebrate we celebrate our 10 year anniversary next month 
10 years ago, almost the day that our founders, um, Professor Claire Mills and Professor Ashley Woodcock, who are global leaders in clinical food allergy, decided they wanted to bring some rigor into the diagnosis of food allergy. And what they wanted to do is develop pharmaceutical-grade challenge meals for the use in in oral food challenges. Um, Now, an oral food challenge, um, you would have heard on on some of your previous podcasts, is the gold standard for diagnosing food allergy. But at the time, reactors formation, there was no pharmaceutical-grade challenge meal available to patients. So, you know, our, our founders thought it was very important that they should pull this forward and try and get that pharmaceutical grade challenge meal onto the market. It seems a bit strange, actually, because oral food challenges have been around and being carried out since the late 1950s, and they're now routinely used for diagnosis right across the globe. Uh, But they're carried out essentially using everyday foods. And that kind of sounds a bit odd because it is a diagnostic test, which is within the domain of the... uh, pharmacy or the the medical profession and so why should they be using foods so this is what reactor healthcare wants to do it wants to develop manufacture and then and then put out into the world pharmaceutical grade challenge meals for use in oral food challenges why is pharmaceutical grade important well what you get with pharmaceutical grade that you don't get with uh, a standard food is you get a verified dose. The, the dose of allergen that is said is, is in the challenge meal is in the challenge meal. It is that dose, that strength. There's no cross-contamination. If you've got a challenge meal for peanut to test peanut allergy, then it's not going to contain egg, milk, fish, or any other allergens. And we know that a lot of allergy sufferers uh, um, suffer from multiple food allergies. And it's reproducible. So, you know, the challenge meal that you have, you can feel reassured that it's the same challenge meal that you should have and that the person had the day before, the week before, the month before. So pharmaceutical grade is is the highest grade that we can get. Now, there is always a small risk with any diagnostic or any therapy, no matter what condition you're looking at. And that's especially true within the, the field of allergy. But pharmaceutical grade, especially within OFCs, or oral food challenges, is the lowest um, risk achievable. So Reactor, after many years of developing a product and then developing the manufacturing capability for that product, Reactor Healthcare now manufactures pharmaceutical grade challenge meals. These are currently used to support clinical trials for the development of therapies for peanut allergy. So at the moment, we have one product, and that's a peanut challenge meal, which is used in oral food challenges that are that are used within um, clinical trials. So now Reactor is located in England. Do you do any of this work in the US yet? This is a very selfish question. Now I have to be very clear here or else I'm going to upset um, my colleagues. Reactors are actually located in Wales, not England. We are literally about 500 metres over the border. So um, we're we're based in, in North Wales. Ah, I would never want to upset your colleagues. Thank you so much for that clarity. But in answer to your question, um, to date, probably somewhere in the region of about um, 60 to 70% of our our product that that we've manufactured has gone to the the US or at least North America, so the US and Canada. And it was, you know, we started manufacturing pharmaceutical grade material in 2021 and like I said, most of that's gone into the US. More recently, we're shipping to other parts of the globe, but historically, it's gone to the US. 
I have to tell you, as a parent who's gone through many food challenges with my children, this is like a dream. I mean, you would not believe the hours I spent on the internet asking people, can anyone tell me about um, Almond Farm? Or I know there's only almonds on it and they do nothing else. We have a food challenge coming. Flaxseed was so hard to find when my son was challenging flaxseed. I mean, the stress levels, like for the families going into the challenge, just because again, it's a challenge, right? That's a a level of stress. But then finding these pure products and then making sure that they're, again, not cross-contaminated, don't have cross-contact, you know, with allergens and in the home and in the purchase and in the manufacturing and then bringing it there. I, I remember my son, had his dairy challenge, they wanted pizza, and they gave me a precise brand. And then it had to be cooked for so long, and then brought in and I thought I was gonna have a nervous breakdown over this pizza. (laughs) Just it was so difficult. So this is amazing. And so just staying on that note of having this pure form, you know, pharmaceutical grade food, if you can help us understand the difference in manufacturing between just like a regular food product that I would buy in the grocery store versus this pharmaceutical type manufacturing, like how does this take place? Like what do your facilities look like? That's a question that could take quite a long time to answer, but I'll try and be concise because I, like I said, I mean, very much in the early stage of my career, I actually worked in food manufacturing. And a food manufacturing plant or facility it is, you know, it's it's as you would expect it. I mean, it's it's obviously very clean, it's very hygienic, and all the foods are, are manufactured very rapidly in in, in fast moving production lines, etc. But if you look at a pharmaceutical grade facility it looks completely different it's almost black and white so for food manufacturing you need a safe uh, manufacturing space that is food qualified for pharma you need a production facility that is a licensed um, gmp facility and gmp means good manufacturing practices so these are a whole bunch of regulations um, procedures etc that you need to follow And this not only is within the manufacturing space itself, but in the storage warehouse where you store your raw materials, in the place where you store your finished products, the water that goes into your product, the air that's put into the, the factory while you're manufacturing your product all needs to be controlled. So everything is controlled within a pharmaceutical facility, manufacturing facility. And all of this needs to be controlled, documented, and all the procedures need to be followed to the smallest detail. Everything from the cleaning protocols everything and everything that follows. It's almost chalk and cheese looking at food and pharma. It's just two very different facilities. One is no better than the other. It's just two different facilities for two different products, two completely different products. And for us at Reactor Healthcare, it was actually really tough because we started as a food company manufacturing our peanut challenge meal as a food and then we've moved to manufacturing it as a pharmaceutical and the work that we've had to do um, to get from food to pharma has been significant and still continues to be significant. That sounds like such an overwhelming but really important job and highly scientific. 
It is well, highly scientific, but also it, it takes a lot of input from um, quality people, um, operations, manufacturing people. It's 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 a true teamwork. It is very complex, very difficult. But if it's done right and it's done correctly, then it, it, it it's it, you get the product at the end of it. So now going a little deeper into this topic, and especially your oral food challenge product, why is that product so complicated to produce? The com- complexity is, is around the f- uh, pharmaceutical rules and regulations, and that is it really. It's just sticking to those rules and regulations. And on those rules and regulations, who creates them? So the regulations are set by, in the US, it's the FDA in the uh, UK, it's the MHRA. In Europe, it's the EMA. Every territory, every country has their own set of regulators um, that, that set the regulations for pharmaceutical manufacture. Now, in majority of those countries, there's a big overlap in terms of those regulations. There are some small tweaks and differences, but overall, they're the same. I mean, at the end of the line, the, the regulations are there to make sure that the product is manufactured under the most stringent conditions, making sure that the product that is delivered at the end of that manufacture process is safe. Oh, and that's what we want. So now what steps does your company have to go through to confirm that an ingredient is pure enough for your standards? And so to me, this sounds so overwhelming. Again, when I think back to, you know, just trying to source, you know, an almond that has been exposed to anything else, but other than other almonds, how does your company deal with that? Well, our ingredients that go into our product, a lot of them, the majority of them are foods. And so you would have thought it's, it's, it's relatively easy to um, source food ingredients and to put them in our, in our products. But actually, it's one of the most challenging and difficult things that my new product development colleagues have to deal with. If we take peanut, for example, when we're, when we're manufacturing our peanut challenge meal, the allergen that we use in there is peanut flour. Now, peanut flour is essentially just ground defatted peanut. And peanut is something that we've been eating for, I don't know, 3,000 years, maybe maybe longer. So you would have thought it would have been something that we can get our hands on relatively easy. And if we take another allergen, let's take milk. The allergen that we use for that is skim milk powder. Now, millions if not billions of tons of skim milk powder are used within the food industry every year so you know being getting our hands on skim milk powder shouldn't be a problem however we have a pharmaceutical product and we keep coming back to this and so what we need is the highest grade um, ingredients that we can get now a lot of these ingredients like i said things like peanut flour skim milk powder etc we cannot buy pharmaceutical grade. So we have to buy the highest grade that we can. If you buy this product off the shelf within a supermarket, it'll have the allergens listed in there. And, you know, if you're buying skim milk powder, you would hope that the only allergen listed on that packaging would be milk. But you don't know. I mean, we, you know, we don't know it's when we take that product on board whether there's been any contamination, cross-contamination, any accidental contamination during manufacture of that transport. So we have to take that ingredient and all our other ingredients and test them prior to them going into the product. We have to make sure that there's no other allergens in there. We have to make sure that the material is what it what it is and it and it meets a, a very defined specification. 
So we have to test those ingredients before they even go into our product. Once they're in our product and our product is, is manufactured, we then have to take that, that final product and we have to analyze that as well to make sure that we have the right level of allergen in there, that there's no other contamination, that there's no micro contamination or, or anything else. So it's all about analysis, lots and lots and lots of analysis before the product's manufactured, during the product's being manufactured, and after the product's manufactured. And that's the only way that we can make sure that our food ingredients, or, or sorry, our ingredients that go into our products um, are safe. You do not know how comforting that is to hear that. That is incredible. That is amazing. It's actually, it, it, it sounds relatively easy, but but actually, you know, recently we were, or well, recently, um, a couple of years ago, we were looking for a source of skim milk powder. It's actually caused us a really big headache because like I said, although we can buy a skim milk powder product from, you know, 10 miles away from, on, on, from our doorstep, it actually, we can't, we have to make sure that that source is, is, is traceable. We have to be able to trace that skim milk powder back to essentially the cow or the cows that produce the milk um, and all of the steps that it's, it's taken from, you know, when it's gone, come from that cow um, right up to when it's been put in, in, the, in the sack and delivered to our premises. And it's, it's really that traceability which makes sourcing APR, sorry, our active pharmaceutical ingredients or excipients in our product and making sure that they are of that quality. It's all very important and it's very difficult, but it has to be done. Well, and very intense. I mean, I'm sure you're looking into, you know, the containers and what it's being stored in and then how it's being transferred and, and just that, that's very overwhelming, very complicated. And I am so glad you guys are doing this. <laughs> Thank you. Makes our world better. So now looking forward for Reacta Healthcare, what is in the pipeline? What's coming down the road? Okay, well, I appreciate that question because this is one of the areas that I really like to talk about. So I mentioned earlier in this podcast that we currently have one product, and that's a challenge meal that's used for the diagnosis of peanut allergy. At this stage, um, we are using that product within clinical trials to support pharmaceutical companies who are developing therapies for peanut allergy. But our ultimate aim is to get a marketing authorization from the FDA, the MHRA, the EMA, from these health authorities that I spoke about before. What a marketing authorization will allow us to do is, is sell that product and, and have that product used in clinics and hospitals for the routine diagnosis of food allergy or peanut allergy. So that's where we want to be, not just have our product being used in clinical trials, but being used in the clinic um, so that the it can be used in that, in that diagnosis of, of the allergy. Beyond that, we're also developing products to other allergens. So we've got two new products coming out in the next year, milk and egg. And then we're also currently developing pediatric um, challenge meals. And I think that this is an area that really excites me because the products that we're developing are for children and adults. But, but allergy affects people right from birth. And so there's this whole population of very young uh, sufferers that, that have food allergy that need to be, or at least suspected food allergy, that need to have a diagnostic available to them. So we're developing pediatric um, challenge meals for oral food challenges in in patients as young as six months old and upwards. 
So I think that this is an area that, that I'm really excited about at the moment. I'm excited with you. I mean, especially pediatric. I mean, just, you know, selfishly speaking about my own experiences, you know, my daughter, they did skin challenges very early. She passed them, ate the nut, had reactions. And and I just, if there had been a food challenge for her at that young age, it would have been amazing. So that is very exciting. I mean, just exciting. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, that whole stress over the pizza will eventually be gone one day. That will just be be gone. All you would not believe on the internet. Fact hosts several private Facebook groups, and people will ask these kind of questions. We're going into a food challenge. What do we expect? Can anyone help me find a peanut? Can anyone help me find you know these certain products and and so forth? It's a, it's a real big deal. This is very exciting. It is, it is, and and uh, I hope that my excitement is coming through during this podcast. I mean, like I said, I mean, I was very excited to work or to start working in the field of food allergy ten years ago, and ten years down the line, I'm probably more excited now than I was back then. Well, yeah, I mean, this is very cutting edge, and this is going to change lives significantly. It's one of those things where you're going to see that immediate result and that immediate benefit, which is just thrilling. But unfortunately, our time together is coming to an end. So before we say goodbye, is there anything you would like to share with listeners? Oh, well, it's very sad it's coming to an end. As I said at the beginning, before we started recording, I do like speaking and it's always good to speak to uh, to a population that, that uh, has a, a, a lot to listen to. Um, I think what I'd like to say to our viewers before we... we we um, tie this up really is is uh, we understand that having a food allergy or or having somebody in your family or living with somebody who has a food allergy is is really tough. But I just want to reassure people, and I said this at the beginning of this podcast, and I want to say again that there's a whole community of scientists, clinicians, and companies like React to Healthcare who are doing everything to improve your quality of life and make things a little easier for you. So just hold in there, you know, we'll we'll move things forward and and hopefully in the very near future the the whole the whole area will improve for you. Thank you for those inspiring words and Martin, I look forward to having you back on Facts Roundtable podcast. Again, thank you so much for your time. I know we're in very different time zones and so I appreciate you staying back after hours to sit down with us and again, I look forward to speaking to you again. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Before we say goodbye today, we just want to highlight one more time FACS Platinum sponsor, the National Peanut Board, and we would like to thank them for their years of continued support and partnership. Thank you for listening to FACS Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.